She's the professor and life coach known around the world. Give it up for Dr. Erin Bryant. So I'm going through this on my own. I was married a total of 11, 12 years. I think the first nine years was tolerable. And I say tolerable because she tolerated me. I, I can only imagine what she was going through, which I don't really know everything what I've done, but man, since I've developed some awareness of who I am in the last three years now, oh my Lord, I can only imagine, which is why I got so much sympathy for my ex. They say that the seventh year of marriage is the most challenging for American people, according to new research. It looks like the seven-year itch may be a reality. He said there's a new poll that reveals that it is the year that American married couples believe to be the hardest. Now, I, yeah, I pulled this data up, but the reality is I think that's kind of like a cliche. I think everybody's a little different. I think we all have our highs and lows. And I think after you come out of the honeymoon phase, and you're kind of going through the just process of marriage. Then you, I, I almost say complicate things, but kids are never, kids are complicated, but they don't complicate life. They're a blessing. But when kids come into the picture, that provides a distraction. That provides something else to entertain you with. So that continues to move the marriage along. But then the routine behind raising your children, being married, I think what they're trying to say about the seven-year itch is at this point, you are now coming into a place where things kind of plateau out. Now, again, I say that because everybody's life is different. You know, you might be somebody who got married and you both insisted, we're not having any kids for at least five years. We're going to enjoy life. We're going to travel. We're going to do this, that, and the other. So it might, so after that, then you guys decide to get married. It might take another year or a year and a half to get have kids. And by the time your first kid, you're already passing your seven year anniversary. So you haven't got to that point yet. And then you have those who might have a kid before you get married. And so you guys are, you know, kids now in their teens and you're so distracted and busy taking on the football games and cheerleading and whatever else, makes you know it, you're on year number 12. So again, I don't buy the whole seven year itch thing, but I think what we're looking at is that we're trying to identify that you gotta be conscious to pay attention to the highs and lows. And when you get to a point of low, assess it. You know, I don't know if you want to assess things between each other internally or assess things between each other externally, meaning get a professional involved. Again, I am by no means a therapist nor a marriage counselor. I'm only reflecting what I might think could be good advice as your friend based on my own experiences now on that note remember i said as a veteran that was going through various challenges i still was not aware of my issues so 
Can you imagine trying to go to say a marriage retreat or a counselor, therapist, and you're not really identifying the problem because you don't really know what the problem is. So what you're talking about could be purely on the surface because you hadn't really identified probably the core issues, issues related to PTSD, anxiety, headaches, memory loss, whatever, the things that could trigger, cause problems, shake things up. For me, I was having an enormous amount of loss of employment. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. I give you, a lot of you guys are still getting to know me from my shows, but when I was in school, you know, elementary, middle school, I was a good student. I was a hell of a student. Um, my future was going to be so bright. And I was a good employee, too. I got my first job working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was 15. And I did it without a work permit. And I'm going to tell you how I did it. <laughs> I still joke about this story because it's so funny. So I grew up in Compton. And my the KFC, for those of you guys who know Compton, you know, uh, I would grow up off of Santa Fe and Compton Boulevard. On the corner was a Salvation Army. But on the other side, it was, a, uh, it was on the street. Um, we had a KFC on the other side, on the laundry side, uh, north of where the old DMV used to be. And I got my job immediately because my mom did the most embarrassing thing you can do for a teenager. She made me put on a suit. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? She said, put on a suit if you're gonna go out looking for a job. So this 15 year old had on his Sunday best and I go up to KFC, which was the closest fast food store our franchise, I should say, because there was Marathon Burgers um, right down the street as well, but that was an independent mom and pop burger place. So I go to KFC and I interview with this guy named Wayne. Wayne, just to give you a little background, it was a was a gangbanger, but he was. smart enough to keep a curl and he's right out of the street. I was wearing a suit. So uh, he gave me, we talked a little bit. He gave me the application. I take the application home. I was only like maybe, I don't know. I couldn't walk more than half a mile, quarter of a mile. Back then I could walk 10 miles. And it wouldn't bother me because I walked everywhere. And I fill out the application. I don't recall the details, but I know I interviewed with the manager and Wayne was assistant manager. My main manager was Melvin. Melvin's was more conservative, um, obviously, you know, from the same area, but not as not as much as uh, uh, Wayne. Melvin was so impressed with me wearing a suit that he hired me immediately. And the thing was, they just 
literally just let me start working. I didn't have a work permit. They just let me, I don't know how we did it or whatever, but I didn't have a work permit. It took me another six months before I finally got a work permit that allowed me to work there or get paid there, put it that way, where it was legitimate through the uh, school because I was working only on weekends and nights at first. And I remember that because I didn't make much money. And my mom, I think the minimum wage at the time was 325. And my mom was had a thing where your paycheck, you get half of your paycheck is put away in the savings. The other half, you get to keep and do what you want to do. That was a big deal for me. But anyway, so I say all of this because I was a really good employee. And then we moved to Sacramento region. I continue to work and I've always done well at all my jobs. I continue to work at KFC because I had experience and uh, working at KFC. I was one of the top employees. They put me through an assistant manager program. I won a bunch of white glove awards, secret shopper awards. I mean, I used to compete with my manager on how to break, uh, who was the fastest in breading bread in the machine and the original, the spicy making biscuits. Who had the best looking biscuit. I mean, I was like all over it and I did the same in other jobs. I used to work for a company called Oshman Sporting Goods. They're no longer in business, but I won triple secret shopper awards where I was helped the same person twice and behind the register at my department. I became a department manager. I mean, on and on and on. I had the pedigree of being an amazing employee. So on that note, after I left AT&T, which I also had a great job and doing well in, which I probably could have just not joined the military and stayed with AT&T. Oh my goodness, my life would have been completely different, but, but that's no here nor there. Post-military, my track record was the complete opposite. I probably averaged, I don't know, seven, eight months at a job. Now, don't get me wrong. I would get some really good jobs. So you, what you don't know is I'm a martial artist. I have a couple of black belts. I was quite uh, good at what I did in, in martial arts. And they gave me the confidence to take on a job like loss prevention. And in loss prevention, you basically, you act like a regular person shopping and you catch shoplifters and you arrest them and you process them and you, you send them to jail or you release them depending on the value of the what they stole and i did this as a kind of a moving thing and then i didn't talk about it but i did it before i went to military so again after military i wanted to keep doing what i could do to try to find employment but i could not even when i was promoted to management i would run into challenges or run into problems and then I shift gears and then I go into other jobs. I finally got into technology. Now I'm getting education, uh, I'm getting my bachelor's degree and I'm going into more professional fields, uh, working for the state of California. It just, my track record was not good. Now keep in mind, if, at this point I'm now married and I'm going from job to job while I'm a husband and a father. They say that a common thread for the majority of divorces includes money problems. In fact, some studies suggest that money problems in a marriage 
are the number one cause of divorce. The financial and emotional toll of a divorce can debilitate individuals with devastating the families. I can proudly say that my family was not impacted because my spouse maintained a consistent revenue of income. So I will always be grateful to her. Even though I had my highs and my lows, she was constant. She worked for the state as well, and she provided that steady income. When I worked for that state, the two of us did well. When I had my own business, I would truly elevate and bring in a ton of money, but that was short-lived. When I would work for somebody else, things changed and they kept changing. Now, again, let me clarify. This is post-military and I have no idea what's going on with me. If you put yourself in my shoes, I did not understand why. Did I go to work wanting to go to work? Absolutely. Did I go to work wanting to do the best I could? No question. But for some reason, I did not get why I was having so many issues. I remember I remember one job, it was Department of Consumer Affairs, DCA. It was the Bureau of Automotive Repair. I was a manager. I was responsible for those who live in California. If you remember during Schwarzenegger's term as governor, we had a program where if you needed financial assistance to do a repair on your smog, or if you had an old vehicle and you wanted to retire it and get some money back. I ran that part of program. I ran that. But he, all of us will have a boss and there's a boss of a boss. Till you get to the governor, of course. And I, I, I it's a little blurry to me, but I don't remember how it came to that moment of when I slammed my hands down and and I don't know if I jumped up or I just slammed my hands down on the desk. I just remember my boss taking a running into her office and slamming the door and locking it behind her. She was that scared. I, I can't remember I can't remember what led up to this. I cannot remember how I looked. I don't even remember what was going on around me, my staff, my employees, how they might've felt. I just remember doing that and her running into that office and hiding out. I do remember I called my wife at the time who absolutely coincidentally, remember the same wife who was kind of the consistent moneymaker she actually actually works in hr so when i called her 
And I don't know if I called her once I got home. Must have been when I got home. I don't even, I, I, you know what? I don't even remember like that I leave work immediately. I don't know. She told me to leave. I don't recall. I just remember she saying something about you, uh, you need to be, you need to get away or something like that. So long story short, I never returned to that job. I don't think. Um, but again, a clue. Another red flag, right? Trying to understand and put the pieces together. I look back now from here and I can see these different elements of what I was going through. Like, oh my goodness, you know, there was all kinds of signs of PTSD, all kinds of signs of anger, <laughs> you know, I, but they were not so rampant or continuous or blatant to where I kind of, I didn't feel like there was something wrong. And again, remember, military was not such a pomp and circumstance thing at this time. So the support and programs and all that stuff wasn't as obviously. Now, damn, we could turn on the TV and watch a commercial and they're talking about PTSD support programs and blah, blah, blah. That did, that, that was not there then. My ex-wife, same one, I'm talking about the same one, because I've had a few, <laughs> but the same one at this time, because remember, I was married to her for about 11, 12 years, so most of my story is going to be related to her, but her father-in-law is the one who introduced me to golf. My body, keep in mind, I was an airborne ranger, right? So jumping out of airplanes, road marches for 50 miles, you know, 60-pound rucksack, 24.2 uh, 240 golf machine gun rounds being carried uh road marches with boots that don't that barely don't fit you know so by this time my body is broken in different areas my i've had three surgeries on my well i don't think i had all three at the time but it, you know surgery on my foot my knees are bad back is sore constantly you know there's always there was something going on so i grew up loving basketball i grew up in compton i'm a laker fan uh been always a laker fan and so love basketball and i couldn't play it anymore so you come out of the military you're in top shape i'm an airborne ranger i have very little body fat slowly i'm getting overweight and i'm thinking i need to stay in shape but what am i going to do i'm going to play basketball can't do it ain't going to happen my body won't let me so uh as i'm trying to be in the professional world now my former father-in-law introducing me to golf now my only memory about golf is I couldn't stand golf growing up as a kid. Growing up as a kid in Compton, my brother and I, we only had one of the things that we had to look forward to is on Saturday morning cartoons. And you're gonna suddenly have some show where these white, old white guys are walking around hitting a stupid ball on this green turf. I thought it was the dumbest thing ever. Well, now it's my, now it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> is I I love golf. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, golf has proven to be a lifesaver in some, and not being too too dramatic. Very therapeutic. I talked about. I have a show about golf on my podcast i'm a part of pga hope 
which is a program sponsored by the PGA, Professionals Golf Association, for veterans. It is a wonderful thing to do for four to five hours to get away and leave the world behind you because all you're doing is focusing on doing the best you can to play this sport. So if you do it right, you have no distractions because you're focusing on golf. And then it brings a level of competitiveness out of you. And the best thing about it, if you're like me, you just go play it alone. Many times I've gone to check in at the uh, pro shop and they say, are you with anybody? I'm like, no. And he said, do you want to join a foursome, a threesome or two? I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll tee off behind him and say, it's going to go slow. I said, I'm all right with that. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not in any rush. I hope you have been enjoying the show. Well, do not go anywhere just yet. We have a continuing episode with Dr. Bryant Speaks. 